Welcome back to QA TK episode 543, recording this Wednesday, the 2nd of November, the day after Cup Day. It is 1.28 p.m. Brisbane time, 2.28 p.m. Cape Shake time, where you are, and it doesn't look like it's hailing today in Melbourne. Okay, Shank. No, it's not. It's raining. It's cold. It's like 10 degrees and raining, overcast, windy, and it's November. You didn't brave <laughs> the uh, the cup, going to the actual cup, putting a fancy hat on and everything yesterday. We didn't do it yesterday. No, we went out on Saturday to Derby Day, but didn't do it yesterday. Too cold, too wet. And how did your uh, punting go over the last, uh, well, the spring carnival anyway? Well, the classic response is about square. <laughs> it's pretty true. <laughs> what does that mean, about square? Like you, you, you won some and lost some and you're neutral? <laughs> yeah. Like, as Jenny says, there's a, there's a wide tolerance of error in about square, but that's what we always say. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, I lost a, lost a little bit on Saturday, not too much, and then picked it up yesterday and then put it all on my horse in the cup, which didn't didn't do any good. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's sad. Smoking Romans, yeah. Smoking Romans. Yeah, unfortunately, bad ride. Jamie Carr, who's a good jockey, yeah, should have known better. She went too soon. I was cheering in the back straight. Gosh, it looked really good until it hit the turn. And then uh, the favourite came, started to come around it, and she panicked and took off, and it was too soon. And both her and the favourite faded in the straight, which is the classic rookie mistake in the Melbourne Cup. You don't go until the clock tower. Everyone knows that, except for Jamie Carr. And me. I have no idea what you just said, but uh, (laughs) I did not watch the race, did not even realise it was on until you posted your thing for it. Really? Turn up. Yeah, you're in Brisbane, though. Yeah. It's it's the cultural centre of Melbourne for a couple of days anyway. Yes. I did go once. I went to the Melbourne Cup once when I lived down there, yeah. It's a lot of fun. Well, to be honest, Melbourne, the the Cup Day isn't a great day to bet on anyway. It's it's a lot of novelty races, the Greys race. And, yeah, it's actually better these days. Uh, Sydney's got the big dance, which is a $2 million race on now. So fields are improving, but, yeah, it's a bit of a raffle. Derby Day is probably the best, although Stakes Day, which is Saturday, is getting better. And Miss Dunsford, my horse, will run tomorrow on Oaks Day, which is the Thursday, so I'll be heading back up there just for the race probably. Hmm. Have a look. Good luck. Thank you. If any QAV club members are at uh, Oaks Day, they should uh, keep an eye out for a tall, (laughs) red-headed guy. In the mounting yard. The mounting (laughs) yard. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Wow, you, you're sounds... not a racing person, are you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's where the it's where the jockeys get on the horses. Oh, of course it is. All right. I was gonna right. say it's where the jockeys mount the horses, but I know yeah. you just laugh at that. Uh, no. Oh, I so would. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get on to investing stuff, TK. We've just we been lot... talking investing. Come on. Oh, is that what you call it now? <laughs> yeah, right. We've got a lot to talk about. There's a lot going on. I have a lot of questions. Not a lot of questions from the club members uh, this week, but a lot of questions from me to make up for it. Now, um, Chairman Mab of the Australian Shareholders Association graced me with a telephone call last week and, uh, among other things, uh, suggested that we should change the benchmark that we're using to compare our portfolios against. We were using, I, I have been using the SPDR200 just because it was the one that Nevexa had built in. He said, actually, he showed me in Nevexa, you can actually put in any custom code that you want in there now and it'll benchmark against anything. 
He suggested benchmarking against BetaShares 200 ETF instead of the SPDR 200 because it's total return, as is the SPDR, but also he said it has lower management costs. So they're not taking that out of the return and it will give a better performance. However, (laughs) so I changed them all over. And then when I was doing my emails yesterday, I noticed that I was looking at our performance since inception. You know, the last time I think the previous week, we were running at about 16% per annum since inception. And uh, the SPDR was running at like 5 or 6% per annum. BetaShares is running at 1% per annum. Oh, really? Over the same period. So we're doing 15 times better than the benchmark <laughs> now, which may be true, but just seems ridiculous. Yeah. Are you sure that BetaShares is, has dividends accounted for as well or accumulated as well? Well, I'm I'm not now that you ask me. I think I was last week when I did it, but <laughs> I went to their website today. I had a look at their inception dates, May 18, so they've been around a little bit longer than our portfolio. I looked at their fund return after fees. Since inception, their fund is 5.74%, I assume that's per annum, versus the index, which is 5.83, so it's pretty close. When you say the index, do you mean the ASX 200 or the accumulation index? Well, they just have index on their chart, so I don't know really. Three-year, their three-year fund performance, which is close to, you know, our our portfolio has been running a little bit over three years, three years and two months. Theirs is 2.92% versus what they say the index is 3%. And we're at 15%. So Nevexa says 1%. They say 2.92%. But anyway, their one year is minus 7.21% versus the index minus 7.12. So whatever index they're uh, saying they're comparing themselves to, they're pretty close. But um, anywho, which they should be as an ETF, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Less management fees and whatever. You know. Yeah. I'm just not sure if it's got dividends. I know they're paying a dividend. So I guess they are. Well, no, hang on. If they're paying a dividend, they can't be accumulating it. Oh, really? So as an ETF, they, they're paying it out. They're, they're, they're not just keeping it as part of the whatever. They're not reinvesting it, which is what we're scoring against because we reinvest ours. So I might need to change it. Yeah. So the, I think from memory, like the down is negative, just like this one you're talking about. But the All Lords Accumulation Index is is being propped up because they're getting dividends reinvested, which I think is it's the better comparison to what we do. I'm just looking at beta shares and Stock Doctor, and it's saying it tracks the sole Active Australia 200 Index, which I have never heard of. So I don't know what that means. Can you remember what the code is for the All Lords uh, Accumulation Index? Is it XJAO, I think, from memory? That sounds right. Yeah, let me see if I can... um... Compare the returns. Well, if I can use that as the benchmark in uh, Nevexa. No, I don't. Well, unless it's changed, you couldn't in the past, which is why we went to the SPDR. Yeah, but now they seem to allow you to choose your own. Mm-hmm. I think that's always been the case, but they never had the XJAO. Yeah, no, that's not showing up still. You're right. Oh, look, happy to use beta shares, but I'm just not convinced it's an accumulation index. Maybe Steve Mab can shed some light on that for us. Okay. Well, 
I'll leave it as it is for the time being, but we'll probably change that um, if we can find something better. I, I was just, when it said 15 versus one, I was like, oh, yeah. that's not right. <laughs> that doesn't look, it looks too good. I mean, we're good, but we're not that good. Another RBA interest rise yesterday, TK. We have to up our rates again. We do, yeah. So currently I went up 0.25%, so we need to change the rates in our spreadsheets to 285 2.85%. And the banks haven't passed it on yet, uh, but no doubt probably will? Yeah, so NAB have passed it on according to the Fin Review this morning. Oh, okay. Others haven't yet, so I'll do a survey next week and update our mortgage rates. But yeah, it's, it's worthwhile doing it in a week's time when the banks catch up. Thermal coal, Tony. Wow. I know. Taking a bath, the old <laughs> coal. I mean, it was only, I, I think, think a week ago or a couple of weeks ago, you were saying, coal's going gangbusters. <laughs> and, uh, you know, as usual, when you say things like that, <laughs> you uh, you crashed it. Back in the uh, beginning of September, it was trading at uh, $459 USD per tonne, currently down $359 USD per tonne. Consequently, a number of our coal stocks, YAL, NHC, have taken a beating. TER, is that a coal stock? It is. They've all taken an absolute shellacking this week, had to sell. I've had to rule one, my coal, or some of my coal stocks anyway, yeah. Fortunately, we've got, I've bought a bunch of parcels of NHC over the last six months. Some of them, you know, are still way, way above, like 100% up. But a couple that I bought more recently are, are uh, down now. But I'm, I'm doing um, an average low, do, dollar cost average, yeah, across them. But I was going to ask you about the, uh, should we, are we going to do a, a fudge cell line on thermal coal using your new Renko, Benko, Bunko <laughs> chart thing? I'm not going to do a fudge based on the three-point trend line. So I'm making the sell price for coal around 250 per tonne, which is well below where it is now, but still a reasonable line to draw. I think it's not too far low to, to be a complete wipeout. But the Renko chart, I did notice, has turned red. So Renko, we're using trading economics, and we can't. I can't get a Renko chart there. But if people are interested, there's a website called Marchart, which does have coal in there, and it's a bit of, in a bit of a different format. So trading economics, which we use in the uh, spreadsheet that uh, the scorecard spreadsheet that gets put out with all of the commodity prices in it. Doesn't have a Renko chart, but it's using the what's called the Newcastle futures to graph its coal prices. So it's using the doesn't appear to be any sort of actual coal price, but they use the next month's futures price to do their graphing. Bar chart also do that, but they actually have the detail and they call it the ICE Newcastle December 22 futures price, which is the current most recent current futures price since we just rolled around in, uh, into November 2022. And yeah, so that's what they're using. And if you, you can do a Renko chart there and it has turned red. So I mean, it's a moot point. I've just rewound all my coal stocks anyway. But um, Whitehaven, New Hope? I've still got Whitehaven. Uh, I don't have New Hope. I still haven't done enough research into Renko. I think if, you, if you're scared, you know, you, you're not sure what to do, then you can use the Renko and sell out of coal at the moment, but you may be buying back in fairly soon. And the reason why I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant to use Renko at this stage is 
I still haven't worked out clearly in my process yet what the buy and sell process is for Renko chart. So it's the first looking at the Renko chart for coal futures. It's the first time it's turned red. And I've noticed before that a box on the Renko chart can take years before it changes because it's basically graphing the variance in the price over time. So if it trades within a particular zone, particular variance zone, then the box can take a long time to change. So even though it goes red, it may just go red a little bit and go back to being green and then go back to being red. So you don't get a full, it doesn't sort of update and give you a full box until it's broken through the variance, if that makes sense, even though the trend may have changed from green to red. So we have a red box for the first time for coal, but I'm not sure if that's, if we should be selling when we get a second red box, for example. So we actually know that there's been a breakthrough of the very of the variance and it's gone outside of its normal tolerance, if that makes sense. So yeah, don't know what the rules are yet. But yeah, I think if you're concerned, you can certainly get out. At this stage, I'm still using all our normal rule ones and three-point trend lines rather than Renko's until I can definitively say here are the rules for Renko charts. Okay. And you think 250 USD a tonne is around about the sell price for coal as a commodity? Yeah, if you look at the trading economics chart, you can draw it. I get about the same thing. Get about the same, yeah. It's gone up steeply and it's coming back now. But again, if you look at the chart, it's had these two steps forward, one step back sort of lines to it. So interestingly enough, if you look at the on the trading economics website, if you look at um, the chart, above the chart, it gives you a commentary, which I think is quite good, good analysis. And there it calls out the fact that coal has dropped 15% this month or the month being, sorry, the month finished October, which is one of its biggest moves for a decade. But it's still saying the forecasts are that coal will continue to rise and will grow. Uh, demand for coal will grow at least 1% per annum. So yeah, it's who knows. Until I can get better rules with Renko charts, I'm sticking with the three PTLs. And any idea why it's uh, taken a, a hit recently? I don't know. I suspect it's got to do with China and going into lockdown all the time to solve its COVID issues. Because I know that iron ore has gone through a big drop recently. And at least coking coal is used in the iron ore process. So I, I expect that that price is dropping. And that I understand why that's happening. If the, if China isn't uh, going to buy as much iron ore or people don't think it will buy as much iron ore, then it makes sense that they wouldn't buy as much coking coal, which is used in the process to make iron ore. Uh, to make steel, sorry, from iron ore. So whether that's had a drag on the thermal price as well, or whether it's just simply the fact that China's going into you know, the economy's um, slowing down there, that could be the case as well. I know China came out, I'm not sure whether it was during their five-year plan announcement or whether it was during this, the recent council, and said that they were trying to boost their own supplies internally of coal. So that may also be spooking the market. Maybe it had something to do with Hu Jintao being escorted from the uh, committee meetings or uh, COVID at Beijing Disney or something like that as uh, sweet people. <laughs> was Hu Jintao trying to show a lump of coal in Parliament? <laughs> <laughs> no, only Australian politicians do yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, so that's that's about as much as I know. But okay. Yeah, I did rule one, some of mine. Keep an eye on it. You'll let us know. If you yeah, still looking all. at Renko. Interesting sort of process, but uh, not as straightforward on the buy and sell side as I thought when I first looked at it. Moving right along, let me ask you about JHG, Janus Henderson Group. I added them to a portfolio a couple of days ago and I was doing a little bit of research on them and noticed that they've got a dividend coming out, but 
I also noticed that they recently announced that they have something called a foreign exempt listing. They're listed on the New York Stock Exchange. And according to their website, or according to stuff on Stock Doctor, actually, there's something to do with this foreign exempt and a CDI one for one for the dividend. And I yep. couldn't make head nor tails of what <laughs> it actually meant. Do we get the dividend as we Australian do. shareholders? Okay. So the only only material difference that will happen with this dividend is that we won't get franking credits for it because um, the profits were earned overseas. So there's no tax credit for it in Australia. So can you summarize in English what a foreign exempt listing means? Not sure exactly what that term means, but I know with companies like JHG, it's listed overseas, but then they trade in Australia on a back-to-back basis, almost like a proxy. So there aren't two companies, in other words. So there's no JHG company working in Australia, but the listing here mirrors the listing in the US. In fact, I think JHG might be a, a London listing from memory. I'm not sure if it's New York or London, but anyway. It's listed on one or both of those exchanges. It's also listed here, but there aren't three companies operating in those countries. There's just a thing called a CDI, which from memory, DI is deposit instrument. I think it's collateral deposit instrument, but basically it's saying that it's a listing in Australia, which mirrors the listing overseas. And so if you get a dividend paid overseas, it gets paid in Australia. If there's any sort of other activity like a capital raising that happens in Australia, as well as on the New York Stock Exchange or the London Stock Exchange as well. Yeah, so it's like a proxy, I guess. BHP did it for a while. James Hardy, from memory, is is has that kind of listing. But also, too, Australian companies can have them as a CDI on the New York Stock Exchange, for example. So I remember when I was at Coles Meyer, the company was listed here on the ASX, obviously, but it had a, a CDI listing in New York to allow it to raise capital over there as well. Yeah, so that's all. But it does mean we don't get um, franking credits with the dividends because it's a, an overseas company. Okay. But we do get the rest of the dividend, the, the key part. We of do, dividend. yeah. Good. So I didn't screw up for once by buying it. <laughs> no. But it is going ex dividend in a day or two. So if people are JHG's on the buy list, if you're interested in it, have a look and take into account the fact that it's going to go ex dividend in your buying decisions. Yeah. It'll probably take a, take a little bit of a hit to the value of the dividend when it goes ex. Correct. I wonder if they pronounce the J as the silent J. <laughs> no, they pronounce the J. Are you sure? Yeah. Yeah, okay. You know, about in, in ancient Rome, they had the temple of Janus, which they had the doors open in times of peace and the doors were closed in times of war. So, you know, when they're anus, and they didn't, they didn't have the letter J, they didn't pronounce the letter J in ancient Rome. It was just Janus. So when their Janus was open, they were at peace. <laughs> and when their Yanus was closed, they were at war. I think there's a lesson in that for all of us, you know? Keep your Yanus open <laughs> at all times if you want to be at peace. You know, if you get too clen- <laughs> clenched up. Wasn't Janus the two-headed god looking forward and looking back at the same time? That's why they had two doors, yeah. All right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Keep your Yanus open. That'll be the title for this episode. <laughs> did my head in this week. So it was in the dummy portfolio. I had to rule one it. And then I went to see what to replace it with. And it was also at the top of the buy list when I went to replace it. And it wasn't even a Josephine when I went to buy it. Because I know we've talked about this before. People have had the question, 
what do I do if I have to sell something, but it's on the buy list? And you're like, well, I've never really seen that happen in 30 years. Right, so you have a case. Because it's usually a Josephine or something if, 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 if I have to sell it. In this case, I had to rule one it, but it was also at the top of the buy list and wasn't a Josephine. I was like, what do I do? So I panicked and I bought SDG. And <laughs> Kane and Gary reminded me that it was going out of business. And the crazy thing is, I actually, I, I have a very sophisticated, I'm getting really good at Excel, I have to say. Thanks to help of a lot of people in our club, <laughs> learning how to use lookups, VLOOKUPs and XLOOKUPs and index and search terms. And I've, I've got like, I even built a budget for my household the other day and I've wow. got it all set up where I can, <laughs> no, I had a budget before. I don't, wow, yeah, I'm not finished. <laughs> where I can, I just download my bank statement and it automatically categorizes everything by looking at partial descriptions and the thing. And then I have codes and wow. it categorizes it. Like I'm getting, I'm, I'm quite impressed with myself just quietly. You could probably sell that. <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah. Good. It'd be nice Ken's to budget it. Find something to sell. Yeah. yeah. If anyone knew what my budget looked like, they wouldn't be buying any budgeting advice from me. But anyway, so I had a note set up to remind me not to buy SDG, but I had it running on one tab and not on the dummy portfolio tab. But anyway, so I bought it, then I sold it again and I bought MQG instead for about the 15th time. I'm always buying and selling MQG. It's, it's never really been a long-term hold for me since we've been doing this. But anyway, back to IMA situation, it's still at the top of the buy list and I'm still not buying it because I'm skeeved out by the fact that I just sold it. So if it's a real one, but it's still on the buy list, what do you do? Well, I still buy the next one. What uh, commodity is IMA mining? It's tin, isn't it? No, mineral sands? I can't remember. Yeah, mineral sands sounds right. It wasn't a commodity sell, was it? Well, I don't think we've got a um, commodity chart for mineral sands. Didn't we have one, we looked at one for Rutile or Zircon from memory? Uh, did we? Maybe. Yeah. IMA is a, so yeah, it's Mineral Sands. Sure, it's not a Josephine. I'm looking at its chart. Yeah, no, you're right. It's not a Josephine. However, it's you wouldn't be buying it today because it's having a down day. It's down 2%. Right. I don't think that was the case yesterday, though. Yeah, okay. So, in th- theory, then, Leaving aside mineral sands for a second, if it's if you had to rule one something, but it's at the top of the buy list, what do you do? Well, if you had to rule one, it, I mean, it's it's dropped ten percent at least. So I think it's just I'm surprised that it's having an up day, or it's not a Josephine if it's dropped ten percent, right? So, like I said, I've never seen it happen before. But if it does, I'd still probably buy the next thing because you can hold on to it, but you just suffered a ten percent loss, and it may go further south. So. And you wouldn't sell it and then rebuy it because nah, uh, at the same, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, right. You're just paying brokerage. Well, apart from the fact that I then bought SDG, I did the right <laughs> thing. Well, thanks to our good friends in Russia. <laughs> Dennis won't agree with that when he's editing this, seeing he probably, if he oh, can true. edit this, because I don't, I don't think he has any power in Kiev oh, at the dear. moment from what I read. Gosh. And no water this either. Morning. Yeah. No water, no power. Hope you're doing okay, Dennis. But uh, our good friends in Russia have uh, halted or said they're no longer going to protect the grain exports from Ukraine. And that's pushed wheat prices up, apparently. So I did a little bit of a look at wheat stocks on the ASX. Yeah, well, there's things like Nuff, New Farm. Is New Farm a wheat stock? I thought it was a chemicals company. (laughs) They're 
on the list. Of, I looked, <laughs> looked up a list of wheat stocks. Well, it's a, it, it would be a, on there. It would be a supplier to farmers. Oh, right. Well, I did. I, I, I googled the wheat companies on the ASX. Found a list that had New Farm and a few others. But I just wondered if uh, you were looking at uh, you know wheat as a potential thing. No, I'm not investment. No. No. What do you mean? Are there any? I mean, we're the we're one of the biggest agricultural producers in the world. We don't produce yeah, wheat. We're not. We're not we country. do, but we don't list. There's no listed companies from what I know. Really, New Farm is a crop protection and specialist seeds company. Nuff, nuff, nuff. Product helps <laughs> farmers to protect their crops against damage caused by weeds. Okay, so they don't actually sell wheat at all. Well, that's, that removes that problem. <laughs> I can't think of any companies that solely in the wheat business on the ASX. There's not many agricultural companies at all listed. But you're right. I mean, if wheat's doing well, then the the suppliers to farmers would probably do well, like New Farm, like Elders. They tend to go boom and bust along with the farming cycle. So, yeah. We've had this question before. Do we track the commodities and then try and buy stocks based on the upturns in commodities or not? And you could, but the QAV process is looking to buy cheap companies as well, not just those which are tracking uptrends in commodities. So I'm not really a commodities trader, even though it's biggest largely in the process in the last couple of years, hasn't always. So like, for example, I, I think earlier on, a year ago, people were saying, oh, should we be buying coal? And the stocks weren't on our on our buy list because they, they've only just started throwing off operating cash flow because of the rise in coal prices. So I would rather wait for the companies to meet our metrics, even even though we could have gotten in earlier if we tracked the commodities better. Right. What like something like Grain Corp? See, this is where I got this. Grain Corp, New Farm, Elders. There's a Motley Fool. Wow, here's my problem. It was a Motley Fool website that I was looking at. About this. <laughs> From memory, Grain Corp is a um, a trading desk for wheat, so it could do probably is doing better when the price is up. But I'm not sure. Australia's largest grain storage and handling network on the East Coast, according to Molly Form. I guess if the price is up, volume's up, which would make Grain Corp do better, but I'm not sure if the price being up and weird actually makes a difference to them. Well, no, but I, I was just, yeah. I think you have mentioned in the past that when certain commodities are going up, you know, you've gone to the buy list and see if there's anything on the buy list. True. I saw your question and I couldn't find anything on the buy list that suits that to me. But it is interesting, isn't it? I mean, the, we are a nation that rides on the sheep's back and we don't have any or many listed uh, agricultural companies. Does that happen at the mounting yard as well? <laughs> That's cost of fruits, which is listed. There is Double Co, which is the cattle company. But they haven't been great investments and they're, they're terribly cyclical as well. So... We've had all the co-ops, like Bega, for example, with the cheese farmers, listed other cheese makers, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> they often have problems because the, um, like, if it's a co-op, it's got a thousand owners who all have different agendas, so they can often be dysfunctional mm. farming cousins, but um, they don't operate in the way that a large company operates, and so they don't lend themselves easily to being a listed investment. Well, thanks for uh, talking that through with me. There's a new book out about Berkshire Hathaway, the financial history of Berkshire Hathaway, the complete financial history. What does no that mean? No biography. It's just the company statements, is it? <laughs> it's an in-depth look at their uh, business history without any 
personal drama about you know Warren and really? his wives that's, that's and Charlie fun. and. So, does it at least have a few quips along the way from Warren or Charlie? I mean, like, no, no, that's 200 pages of uh, 401s, whatever they're called over there, <laughs> returns. It would be pretty dry reading. A couple of good quotes I got from this article I was reading about it. I think uh, this is a quote from the author of the book, whose name is uh, somebody Adam. Adam Mead, uh, The Complete Financial History of Berkshire Hathaway. I like this one. Building Berkshire was an exercise in patience combined with opportunism and a reminder that opportunity cost matters. There was no grand strategy. I mean, that's that's true. There's a, there's a grand process, I think, is probably a better description. I mean, if Warren never set out to build a big conglomerate, you just you know, apply the process for sure. The other quote that I liked here was, this is from Warren, Charlie and I have never been in a big hurry. We enjoy the process far more than the proceeds, though we have learned to live with those also. (laughs) (laughs) But I really like that, like enjoying the process. Yeah, exactly. And I I thought that was good for QAV club members is just to learn to enjoy the process. Correct. That's what I've spent the last few years doing, you know, is learning to enjoy the chess game of playing this and figuring out that the proceeds will take care of themselves, but to enjoy the process of learning how to become a skilled investor. Yeah, I think that's the same with everything in life. Like it's the old maxim, you don't, you don't watch the scoreboard, you watch the what you're doing. Yeah, it's like uh, if you're into share investing to make a quick million bucks it's, it's and you don't like it, it's going to get pretty stale fairly quickly. So, yeah, you've got to enjoy the process for sure, which I think is why QAV is attracted to a certain type of individual who, as you said, likes Excel spreadsheets and numbers and the logic of it all. And that's the end of the free episode of QAV for this week. If you're a new listener, I just should let you know how this works. So we have a free episode every week, runs for about half an hour. We have a premium episode also every week. It goes for another 30 to 60 minutes, depending on how many questions we get. It's where Tony answers questions from our club members. If you want to check out the premium episodes and all the other benefits of being a QAV club member, which is access to the checklist and and the Bible and uh, the private Facebook groups and the other comms channels that we have, invites to the dinners, Zoom calls, etc., etc. Just sign up for the two-week free trial and check out all that stuff out. You can do that at qavpodcast.com.au. Look for the um, free trial button there. And if you uh, like the idea of value investing QAV style but don't feel like you have the time or resources to uh, learn how to do QAV for yourself, think about signing up for QAV Lite. That's our relatively new service where we send you the stock tips every week. And then we also monitor those stocks in a portfolio. And if they become a sell, we email our QAV Lite members and tell them that it's time to sell that stock and what to replace it with. Check that out too. It's sort of a low effort way of doing QAV. Still better if you know how to do it yourself, I think, because Tony could get hit by a bus and then where are you but uh, you know while he's not (laughs) we can do this so check that out qavpodcast.com.au slash light l-i-g-h-t that's it if you don't want to sign up to any of those just keep listening to the free episodes 
And if you have any questions, uh, shoot me an email. you find that on our website too. All right, have a great week and good luck with your investing. The QAV podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFS cell 520442, AFS representative number 00129217182. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions.